0: Hey guys, it's great to have you with me again. I hope that you are well. Thanks so much for listening and for all your great feedback these past few weeks. A reminder that if you want to support the show and get some great extra goodies along the way, become a monthly subscriber of Pop Culture Confidential Premium at popcultureconfidential.supportingcast.fm. As with so many of you, the TV adaptation of the Sally Rooney novel Normal People became my recent obsession, and I inhaled the episodes like there was no tomorrow. The intimacy in a time of social distancing, the passionate, difficult love of youth so beautifully put together, it felt like a dose of emotion that we all needed right now. My guest, the executive producer and director, Lenny Abramson, has the incredible ability to cinematically adapt what seems to be unadaptable novels, novels filled with inner monologues and character psychology that almost seem impossible to translate to a screen. But he does. Like with his film Room, for which he was Oscar-nominated about a mother and young son held captive in an enclosed space, the director wrote a long letter to novelist Emma Donahue explaining why he was the right director for the job. And with his keen psychological observations and sensibility, the film was so much more than what could have been a pretty normal abduction thriller. And with normal people, he's done it again. He's adapted a novel with so much powerful inner life that we the viewers are on the edge of our seats, engrossed in this young couple's intimacy. Lenny Abramson and I talk about how exactly he did just that, how he, together with novelist Sally Rooney and Alice Birch, who wrote the script, the incredible lead performances of Marianne and Connell, played by Daisy Edgar-Jones and Paul Meskel, and the rest of the team put together the adaptation of Normal People. We also talk about love and our own high school experiences, the stunning intimacy between the characters that also led to some major controversy for him the casting and his own thoughts on some of the choices that Marianne and Connell make throughout the story. Here is Normal People. The story of two teens in a small town in Ireland. Marianne, a wealthy loner, and Connell, a popular jock whose mother works for Marianne's family. Their complicated relationship to each other and to themselves. You know, when we were together in first year of college... It was kind of a perfect time in my life, to be honest. It'd be awkward if something happened with us. No one would have to know. I didn't know your mom worked in the Sheridan's house. What's Marianne like in her natural habitat? I don't know. I don't see much of her. We hook up
1: secretly. (laughs) (laughs) Like some kind of game.
0: It's actually really hot I don't want people going around town saying that Nakra's dating my sister It's not what I want anymore I feel nothing for you, nothing Why are you saying this? Her new boyfriend is more in line with her social class
1: Are you dating anyone problematic at the moment?
0: I haven't had a midnight call from you in a while so corrupt and sexy
1: would you say your feelings are involved obviously who is
0: it obvious to Lenny Abramson, thank you so much for joining me on the show.
1: Great pleasure to be here.
0: So I understand that the entire post-production, the press work, the premiere, the reviews, everything for normal people has taken place during this dystopia that we're living in. How has that been?
1: It's been so odd. I mean, we were lucky to even we were lucky to finish the show. Um, We finished it like the last things that we really couldn't have done under lockdown. We finished maybe a week before. Everything closed, so we were so lucky to get in under the wire. So the last bits of post production were done remotely, and then all of the press. So really, the last three weeks or so, I've been sitting in this room, chatting and doing events and things like that. It's funny because there has been a tremendous excitement about the release of the show, and I've still felt that, you know. And maybe that tells us how much of our lives are already sort of connected to our devices, you know. So much of of what counts as a Successful launch, it, you know, comes through social media and you know all that. I think the thing that I've missed most is just being able to celebrate with the other people who were involved in the show. Right, just, the team. You know, that's the tough thing.
0: But it's also, I was thinking, this may be the last new series for a while or film where we see this incredible, beautiful human touch.
1: I know, and that
0: we're all just enjoying watching that. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I've wondered, I think we've all wondered whether part of the strength of the response to the show is sort of explained by how significant that idea of intimacy has become. I mean, it's always, you know, it's probably the most, one of the most significant dimensions of a person's life under normal circumstances. But in this strange world where so many people's connections are attenuated and it becomes just that the business of being able to hug somebody or... You know outside of the household we 're so aware now of proximity and, and and other people as potentially dangerous in that way that never had to be thought about before maybe maybe the show does have that extra resonance now
0: so some amateur science here i 've encountered in my life i feel in general two types of people: those that remember high school and their youth with great nostalgia and joy and those of us that are okay, that it's over. Um, yeah. Th- th- what about you?
1: I'm, I'm in your category. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty glad it's over. I mean, I had, I think my last two years of high school were good. Um, I sort of came into myself a bit more, but probably the majority of the time I was there, I wasn't happy. I wasn't, um, I didn't love school at all. And, um, I think that phase of life generally, like not just the school part, but, the intensity of those years when you really, I, you know, feel so uncertain about who you really are or what you want or where you might fit in. And I I think they were, they were pretty turbulent years. I think that's whether, you know, either, I think there are very few people that have a, 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 you know, uh, a completely positive or largely positive time. Kind
0: of suspicious of those, right?
1: Totally. I, I worry about them. It's like, Yeah, I I think a certain amount of uncertainty and uh, self kind of questioning and everything is a healthy attitude to have. And
0: it's not necessarily that it that it was horrible, but there was a level of self-consciousness that was just always right in front of your face. But what about your experience with with young love? Love is so different then.
1: I mean, I think part of I think what I found so moving about Sally's book I think part of the the thing that affected me so much was partially a yearning for something that I hadn't experienced quite in the way that her protagonists experience it. Like, looking back on it now, I think I was too um, caught up in myself and uh, too kind of uh, self-aware and self-conscious and kind of crippled by that to have allowed myself the... that amount of openness that you would need to let somebody affect you in that way. So I think of there certainly there were amazingly intense feelings. And sometimes those were experienced in the context of another person. Mm. But I don't think I ever realized how fabulous it could be if you just stopped um the noise internally and allowed yourself to really tune into somebody else. And I think about my kids are 12 and nine and so they're a little bit away from being able to watch this but when they are I like the idea that it it might encourage them to recognize you know just how amazing it can be and to strive for that um I don't you know it amazes me that I think I was so caught up in how I was perceived how I was perceived by other people um a certain all those insecurities which cause you to act in a kind of performative way that just gets in the way of actual connection. It's taken me, you know, into middle age, I think, to be able to achieve that.
0: Oh, I recognize that. And at, at, at the same time, I find these two characters so beautiful, but I mean, I can just, one of the thoughts that struck me was like, I would, I'm always freezing all these scenes where they're just <laughs> oh, so open and unself conscious. I'm like, I would have had five, comforters. Of down-
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's a great thing to know about yourself.
0: But it was anyway just so beautiful that thing you're saying that that to be a teen and to be able to be so open to something like that. I, I don't think I was, but I have to coming up there teenage boys who I definitely want to see this to be able to see how beautiful it can be just the huge romance that you have in your teen years, but that's really just a tiny moment.
1: Yeah, I mean it's funny it is a kind of it's an experiment in what's possible so it's emotionally true as a story in other words i think sally tracks the experiences of those two people really forensically and brilliantly but i think it is an experiment in the possible i i suspect that very 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 few people have that degree of of exquisite sort of intimacy maybe at any point in in their lives and so as a sort of ideal or as an as an account of what honesty might allow you to feel it's it's powerful in that way
0: talking about Consent, um, sexual consent in, in movies and in real life, it's often depicted um, as like the ultimate passion killer. You ask someone if they're OK and well, that's it. The mojo has gone.
1: Exactly. You,
0: you have this scene in, in it's the first love scene between them that you really changed the game. It's so romantic. Tell me how you did this and how you were thinking
1: about it. Well, it is as you say. This idea. I remember when people. T- I remember, you know, those first kind of hot takes about campus culture, and you get it in the right wing media all the time about, oh, you're supposed to ask somebody if you can kiss them before you kiss them. I mean, come on. What whatever happened to you know John Wayne and Maureen O'Hara and all the sort of passion carrying people away sort of image of what sex is. And and so, uh, when it came to doing this scene, which is a scene where somebody like. Connell is not particularly experienced and Marianne isn't experienced at all. It just felt like it, was, it would be really dodging the reality of a moment like that, not to take the audience through the real phases of, of, of the kind of moves from talking to making love. Mm-hmm. And, and I think also it was something, even, be, even leaving aside the consent part, which I'll come back to, I think what excited all of us about, about the way we were thinking when we were designing the show was that we would try not to divorce the sexual um, intimacy from the rest of the relationship. In other words, we wouldn't sort of go, okay, so these are people who like each other. And guess what? Uh, Now they're going to have sex. And so we'll just jump to a different kind of grammar of storytelling and we'll just do the sex scene. I, I really felt like the way I wanted to observe it was as if I was sort of not quite an alien, but a person who, was just an observer, so uh, I want to understand everything about these people, and so I watch as their their feelings within that scene reconfigure from the the sort of verbal to the physical and not feel a joy, not not have a knowing arch moment of reconfiguring the the grammar you know and and because of that, it, it led to us thinking well let 's just do it without a cut let 's do it without a time jump let 's make it feel continuous from the moment she they're sitting together in the bedroom until until they're making love, and then you really must address consent. And it feels, and I think this comes from the novel as well, and maybe we're slightly more explicit. Although I think the the dialogue is as is in the novel. Um, it just felt like, why is it that we feel that a kind of communication like that is. Anti-sexual. Like I had to ask myself the same question because ten years ago or fifteen years ago, I probably would have thought myself that explicit consent was a kind of, you know, potentially a PC nicety that was being grafted onto what had human beings had been doing for millennia, you know, without any any sort of um, prescriptions like that. But actually, I, I think rather than feeling it as a hump to get over, we actually began to see it as as part of what makes their particular relationship so uh, extraordinary and passionate because it's about a sort of honesty and the fact that that they can speak to each other in that way at that moment is kind of exhilarating I think when you see it it, it, it doesn't it, it's 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 absolutely not an interruption of the kind of communication that's going on either side of that the moment in the scene
0: well it's so romantic because here's a girl who's not being seen by her family and 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 someone who wants to know if she's feeling something and is in pain i mean it's it's just not about the sex it makes it even more you know beautiful that he thinks about that
1: yeah and he's such a fascinating character because it's important to he behaves very badly in, in a number of occasions and we don't quite understand what's at the root of that until much much later so that I think it's there i think it's there on screen it's there as paul plays it and it's there and how he kind of constructed it dramatically but it's not just he's not just some jock guy who is afraid of what his friends will think he has a kind of social anxiety which is very deep rooted and um, and that's at at the core of why he makes some very bad decisions and, and really lets her down and hurts her but but he is in himself somebody who believes he should act correctly and i you feel that in him, like how he talks to his friends, the way he's slightly different from them. And I think within that context, he is very, in, the, in, in his sexual self-expression, there isn't that complexity. There's a complete sort of openness there, which I find really inspiring. And so it's, it doesn't, he doesn't have to like, he doesn't remind himself to ask those questions because somebody told him that that's what you're supposed to do. He does it because it is important to him that the person with whom he's about to be intimate is completely tuned into that moment also, and that she isn't in any way feeling under pressure. And I, so it's a beautiful moment in the sense of what it says about him as a character and what his concerns are.
0: Yeah, that's one of the reasons he doesn't drive us crazy afterwards with all these decisions he makes as an audience. (laughs) I remember uh, when I was maybe 13, 14, I watched Rebel Without a Cause. Um, There's these two beautiful teenagers who are in so much pain. Similar kind of pain as these two in a way, and there's a scene, extreme close up of Natalie Wood's face and James Dean's face, and she's grazing his face with her lips. And I swear to God, I could not breathe at that moment. It was the sexiest thing I'd seen in my life, and I felt exactly the same way in this scene. And it just brought me back to that.
1: I know the scene you're talking about, and it hadn't occurred to me in the making of it, but I think it's a it's a lovely comparison, and a very nice one for me because I. I remember how beautiful that was. I think for us, um, I just had this feeling about a certain kind of way of observing the the two of them that I was, I found really exhilarating because, you know, it's interesting. Like people talk about the nudity in the show and whatever. um, But actually when they're making love, it tends to be on their faces. The camera tends to be on their faces because that's what's most interesting to me and 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 that attention to the feelings and the complete humanity of the character while making love is the thing that I think is really powerful and maybe that the Natalie Wood James Dean thing as well is that's about character as well as about physical intimacy and the thing that bad sex scenes what they get wrong is that character just goes away and and the kind of mechanics that just becomes front and center and I think by just staying present with the characters and and not being coy in the filmmaking leads to this extraordinary kind of feeling of intimacy that you can have
0: you have weathered a storm though um there was an uproar on something called live line which is a (laughs) call-in show where you were basically slammed the purveyor of fornication and fornication and people called in saying that this was on par with a porno movie or something
1: like that. I mean, it was a, mo- a great moment in a, a sort of a last gasp of a certain kind of Ireland that is really gone. You know, it's so interesting. And I, I may, it's just brilliant that you're talking about live Liveline because it's such a kind of cultural institution here. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a phone-in show and people ring in to complain about, you know, that the city council haven't like done the drains properly or, or in this case, the fact that the moral standards of the country are, you know, um, collapsing. But actually, when I was, a, you know, when I was a kid um, in the 80s, uh, or like late 70s, early 80s, that was the that was this country, you know, it, it was it, there was a hint of nakedness on television, there would be national outrage, you know, we didn't have divorce, we certainly didn't have abortion. And the idea of, 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 of sort of, you know, the gay rights movement was like just impossible to conceive of. Since then. We've, we're the only country which have, but but has by like a, a referendum, so popular vote, legalized um, gay marriage, and um, we now have overturned this awful old kind of ban on abortion, and our our, the, our prime minister is married to his husband, and you know it's a t- t- different country completely. But deep in the woods, there are still people who, I suppose, can't get their heads around this cultural shift. So it was pretty amazing, yeah. It was. I mean, when you hear words like fornication? And um, there was a, that was a brilliant moment. The lady said it was. It, it was like a porn movie. And the presenter said, "Well, have you seen a porn movie?" She Said, "No. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just what I imagine one to be like." I thought, God, if only the qu- production values were as good in, you know, porn movies.
0: And one of the one of the best ones was also. It's no wonder we have a pandemic, as if that was beautiful. Uh,
1: <laughs> I mean, you get that in the states, don't you? You get there's a sort of. There is a coterie of people who believe everything that happens is a result of, you know, sin. Um, I mean, I think what was, like, it's amazing that that's traveled around the world because it did feel like I was hearing sort of a, a dull echo of a signal from the 1950s, like on some spaceship or something. It doesn't feel like Ireland now. Um, having Have said you that... Have
0: gotten that anywhere else?
1: No, nowhere else. I mean, I think that what's interesting about that actually is that it shows that we're still not maybe quite as fragmented as a country, as you might have. You might be in another place. Like, can you imagine in the states? There are very few things. Like, if something's on Hulu or Netflix or whatever, that's very siloed in America. You know, whereas here we still have this national broadcaster, and when they broadcast, it feels like something that the whole country can talk about. Yeah.
0: Well, interesting. Well, you almost broke the host because you put a Twitter up of him, of a picture of the host literally with his hand in his head. <laughs>
1: so, and somebody actually, the sound designer on the show sent me, he got that painted by a really good painter. So I'm going to frame it. He He had that gesture immortalized on <laughs> in paint.
0: So Sally Rooney has said in an interview, she said, sitting down to write the scripts was like, oh my God, these characters never say what they mean and they never do what they want to do, which I was alluding to for an audience can just be, God damn it. Just, you know, Come on. just say that you want us to live with her this summer. You're driving is crazy. How do you catch that inner monologue that she has in the book on film t- to make us not feel that way about him? Or
1: her. I mean, that, that is the challenge, I think, with any piece of film storytelling. You know, it's, it's maybe more apparent when you're dealing with an adaptation because you have the book and you have the inner monologue to, to, to compare or to wonder about, you know, how might you translate that? But if you're telling a story, you know, that's an entirely um, original one, not adapted, you still have that same challenge. How do you, with a camera and sound, um, you know, project... An interior onto these flat images and I think I sort of turn that question around and think well in a funny way you know the novelist has the words but we have the faces and we have the bodies and we have the passage of time and the sound of the room and we have an audience who is you know each member of the audience is good at nothing more uh they're not better at anything than sit than knowing what it is to sit in a room to look at another person we're in we're all expert at reading each other that's the thing that we're most expert at in fact you could sort of flip it around and go how can a novelist with just like these marks on a page conjure up a sense of of presence and i think that film the thing the superpower that film has is presence and i would argue more so than theater people talk about theater as the live art the presence of the actor and that is from a certain kind of sense it's a social connection like you are in the room with that person that's different but actually for the sense of of being with a character feeling what it's like to you know for time to pass in that very space film is the most kind of creates the most kind of for me vivid sense of presence so I think that's what we have and then it's about how I mean I've thought a lot about this and I sort of would love to at some point try and Write down my thoughts about it, but there's a certain kind of orientation that I think good filmmaking puts the viewer in regarding the characters and the and the and the situation and and the thing that I like to do is to try to give the person watching a sense that they are not entirely privileged they don 't have enti- you know they don 't have completely privileged access to what 's occurring so if you think about like uh so I like to I like to suggest, to feel that I'm really proud, so I can really, I can sort of walk around and watch, but what I'm watching is never completely revealed. And, and what that does is it just, it allows the, the person watching to make the final connection or leap to the final understanding. And there's something that's more owned about that than, I mean, what, what I think bad drama is, is over-specified, over, you know, over-communicative and it doesn't match what it's like to really try to understand a human being in the same space as them because in reality we're always lacking some information we're always hypothesizing and there's something about mirroring that relationship to to action that i find incredibly like exhilarating on film
0: and also the faces of these two actors were you specifically since so much of this you've already talked about it several times here wanting to see their faces during the love scenes that the intimacy Mm -hmm. is right there and so close i mean were you looking for people's faces in the casting i mean no one's better than these two it's perfect they are they
1: are amazing yeah they are i mean and it is funny how people will often say you know like everybody who reads a book will have a different picture in their head but it is amazing how many people would say after watching something if it's well made that's exactly how i imagine them and it can't be true it sort of retro it retroactively colonizes your memory somehow yes it's 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 a certain kind of aliveness that i respond to i think in casting in other words if somebody comes in and the character is finished completely sort of like i love you know i love for example um let me think of a filmmaker who who works in a different way where you're looking at the image and the image tells you like Wes Anderson, you know, and it's beautiful and it's really exhilarating that, but, but I think I just do something sort of very different to that, where I I want the ambiguity and the richness and the kind of the, the sort of the complexity. And so what I'm doing in casting is just, it's just a gut thing. I mean, I couldn't say that I was after her face because Paul, Paul Mescal's understanding of Connell is what makes him so brilliant. And, of course, he also fits. I mean, he's like perfect from heaven, both of them, for me, in this show. Just uh, them arriving was like the most amazing gift because Paul understands the character. He himself is from a small town. He has. He's beautiful, but he looks local. He's everything. He has that, and he understands that kind of slightly hesitant, self-questioning uh, depth that that the character has. And he does have, a, he's amazingly mobile as well. Both of them are. I think that mobility is important to me. Like some people, some directors like actors who are kind of, what's the word, inscrutable. You know, like there's that sort of Stephen Ray kind of acting where you just hold steady and, and allow yourself to be projected on. I think that can be great. But I, I prefer sort of mobile, active performers. And both Daisy and Paul are that. And they're both incredibly sensitive and and you can feel every small shift, every small internal shift shows itself somehow on on the surface. Even if you can't say what it is, you know that something's happening.
0: In one way, this story, Sally and, and you guys, um, it, it's a lot of tropes that we've seen in teenage movies. There's a jock, there's a beautiful, rich girl yeah. who, who is still not happy with herself, even though she should be, because she's beautiful and rich. It's love across class and, and not being able to accept your girlfriend and your friend group. But there's something that Sally has done here that makes it deeper. Did you put your finger on that?
1: You know that is exactly why I was I wanted to do it, and why when I read the book I felt like yes, it you can see the end, the story engines, and you've seen them before. But actually, what's amazing is that's well, that's good because you know I love it when when the audience says, "Okay, I know where I am. This is a sort of boy meets girl across the tracks." I can see, and that actually relaxes people, and then you can do something kind of different under the guise of that, you know, under the radar of the. Of the of the attention. What she succeeds in doing, I think, is just it is exactly everything you said, but really it's about it's a beautiful evocation of a very deep human connection. And so she is using all those tropes, but where in a lesser, in the hands of a lesser writer, what you'd end up with is just a kind of diverting story, which either resolves itself or doesn't. Here you what you get is a sort of an encounter with intimacy and it plays itself out at least for me it played itself out internally in me I felt I was going through our echoes of the same experiences and feeling the the openness in myself to the same sorts of experiences which I may or may not have really had at the time and that's what great work does it kind of it opens up spaces in the person who's watching or reading so like there are no new stories and you know that's an old cliche but sort of true and I think Sally also she does such really clever things, like she resolves something very importantly while at the same time having an open ended relationship. But I think we perhaps made this even a little bit more explicit in the adaptation than in the novel, which is you kind of expect that they, they have these breakups which are based on miscommunication, something more than that actually, and maybe we could talk about particularly the one at the end of episode six what's really going on there but but just to jump to the end and then come back to that, there are these breakups which feel like they're about a lack of understanding or a or an inability to express or these things that each character is resisting in themselves. And you think, okay, well, the resolution of that is that they overcome that at the end. And actually they do in a sense, they're able to communicate honestly, for the first time, but in the context of a final breakup. And I think that's really, that's a beautiful shape that she finds because really they do arrive at this deep acknowledgement of how much they love each other. And they do speak honestly and kind of, you know, with a degree of candor at the end that they haven't managed. And yet it's, it's, what's happening is that there's a sort of break or a hiatus or something. But to go back to episode six, and I think it's probably where I have a slight, uh, like, I think what I'm hinting at at the end of episode six in that pool scene.
0: That's when he goes and he puts her arm around her. Yeah, Mm -hmm.
1: exactly. I think what I was hinting at there was something a little bit more ambiguous than is perhaps uh intimated in episode seven in episode seven it's done as a and we, we we debated this many times in the end we decided to do it which was this idea that they both remember the encounter slightly differently he thinks it's marianne who kind of su- suggests breaking up and she thinks it's him that suggests breaking up whereas i think really at least in my version of of of, of what i feel about it now we been through the whole process the end of episode six he kind of knows that he is incapable of making this public statement he does it he puts his arm around her he kisses her on the neck but it's a sort of kiss goodbye because he knows for some reason things are fracturing for him and he cannot impose himself on the world and say i would like to move in with you and be with you it's not about fear of it's not about feeling oh you know awkward about the different economic circumstances they're in for me it's a deeper thing
0: Mm -hmm. that's his limit
1: that's his limit yeah
0: it's also something ageless that you do, because regardless of what age we're in now, you and I have small, you know, kids and everything. But mm-hmm. I mean, power struggles in relationships, like, or, or that you switch, that this one has the power now, then she, you, she finds her tribe later, and he has the one with the less power. I mean, that happens all your life in all your relationships going on. So even if we're not there as teens, we can still see how that's going on now.
1: Yes, absolutely. I mean, that is the funny thing about the the reaction to the book and and it seems to be the reaction to the show as well, is that you can't say there's a particular age range that responds most kind of strongly to this. And I've got some amazing messages from people, older people, people like in late middle age and stuff who feel, somehow that the show has spoken to them. And I think that's great. Um, I also think it's a testament to Sally how seriously she takes her characters, that she doesn't, she doesn't limit them by, you know, why should we limit people who are in their early 20s or late teens? I mean, they're, they're some of the most intense years anybody experiences.
0: Can we talk about the mothers? So I'm a mother of boys, who I hope will we'll see this soon. Um, Connell's mother is, is just, you know, a hero. Um, I, I can't get over how i hope that i do everything that she's done in that one but i also feel very strongly about the relationship between marianne and her mother and i feel very much for that mother
1: yeah it is it's really interesting that there are no fathers um present at all i mean they're just hinted at marianne's hinted at connell's not really at all so you have these two contrasting relationships with with mothers on connell's side she's just such a fabulous character and uh, Sarah Green is such a wonderful actor as well. Like she just absolutely nails that level of no bullshit that uh, you would want to be have as a parent. I mean, and and actually being prepared to be tough, but in such a way that with, without any coldness, you know, she's it, a wonderful, yeah, beautifully written character. And I feel we 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 gave her some good airtime, and it really people seem to really love her, and I'm delighted. And and you get the sense of where his moral compass comes from. I think the anger in her is probably in our heads. We always said, and and Sarah talked about the idea that she had been treated badly by men in the past. And so her, her fury at her son for being unkind. And actually, for me, that is the moral center of everything. You know, you, when you get rid of all the hocus pocus stuff, when you get rid of the bishop, you know, talking about the horror of male nudity, which is to me so absurd and you to get down to the real root of it it's about decency kindness you know and he just wanted her him to be kind to marianne and that is not acceptable that he wasn't i find that that was very lovely to do but actually i'm really interested in marianne's relationship with her mother and i think and i think sally would say this too i think we gave more dimension to to denise marianne's mother in the show than is in the novel because denise's seen only really from Marianne's point of view or effectively Marianne's point of view in the novel, but we got to see her more in the round. And we tried to create with Ashlyn Guckin, who's a brilliant actress, this idea, I suppose, of a person who by their own lights is just trying to manage a situation. And the effect of her, her behavior is a certain kind of coldness and, and it can be cruel that we didn't want her to just be a, a cruel character. We wanted her to be a character who was trying to do, what she felt was right in, in in her eyes in an impossible situation with her with her son and daughter. And I think that scene in the car where she is dropping her to the bus stop and she says, you know, and, and Marianne in that slightly kind of childish way says, you know, why do you tolerate this? Mm-hmm. I mean, people say that to their parents all the time. Why don't you just change your life if you're so unhappy? Well you need to be an older person to recognize that it's the the stakes that you play with are much higher and and we don't have that glorious sense of freedom that you may have when you're in your early 20s or late teens and i found that very moving and and i felt for janice
0: yeah i mean she feels broken
1: a- exactly exactly
0: room was such an incredible movie that you were oscar nominated for and and of course it's a movie about a mother Locked in a basement, you know, abducted with with. It's really a story about parents and 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 children, yes. and parents, but it is a story about isolation. And I just wanted yes. to ask, in the situation that we're in, what did you learn about psychological isolation making this movie that applies to what the stuff we're living in right now?
1: Um, I would say I learned primarily that I'm not as good a parent or as inventive a parent as Ma in Room. <laughs> She's like way better than I am. Um. But i but, I think I learned the idea that you can actually turn any small environment any small environment is much richer than you think it is. I mean far the most deliberately sort of cruel, empty prison sorts of environments you know so we live in a house it's 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 you know we have enough space. And we have a garden and there's a shed down the back with all old stuff in it. And there are books and there are DVDs. And it is quite amazing how sustaining that can be for a long, long time, because the longer you spend in it, oddly, it, it doesn't shrink. I find it kind of expands because it becomes your world for those those weeks or months. And somehow it has to it has to accommodate all the aspects of your life that you used to live in different places in a broader on a bigger map. So in room, our the whole idea was: could we convincingly show that this tiny space could be a universe for a child? And I think we managed to say, yes, it it, it could, at least with a very creative and brilliant parent. Um and to some extent, I think people are discovering something similar in their lockdown worlds that like there's a lot of richness in the ordinary daily things that you do with your kids and the things that you can do and the making of breakfast and and the reading of books and the things that you do in a hurry when you're normally running around actually those things are capable of containing a sort of richness that maybe you ignore in in the normal run of things.
0: Uh, I, I don't know if it was you or, or the author Emma Donoghue who said which I found kind of scary thinking about it now that studying solitary confinement and prisoners that usually the, the the what happens is that the trauma comes after.
1: Yeah that's for sure and I think that is absolutely true globally we don't have a clue yet what this will mean we really don't. I would be very optimistic if I felt we were all attempting together as a sort of species to find ways of getting past it but the sad thing is all of the kind of divisiveness that exists at the moment doesn't stop and won't stop and that's the thing that will stop us from i suppose moving on in a sensible and humane uh way past this so who knows what's going to happen
0: finally um will we ever know what will happen to marianne and connell do you see uh, you know doing season more two of this story yes <laughs>
1: I mean, the only thing I could imagine, and there's nothing on the cards at the moment, we always felt that we were just going to do the novel, and the novel is ends where it does, I suppose, for a reason. Who knows? Maybe there's a sort of 10-year, five or 10-year version where you go, wow, I wonder what happened. That would be really interesting to, with the same actors to jump down the line. They're such rich characters that, who knows, that might, that could happen.
0: Thank you so much for taking this time. Thanks,
1: Christina. Thank you so much for having me. I love the show you do.
0: Thank you so much, to executive producer and director, Lenny Abramson. Normal People is out in all sorts of places, depending on where you're located. Make sure not to miss it. And thank you so much for listening. Again, remember to subscribe to Pop Culture Confidential Premium at popcultureconfidential.supportingcast.fm. And if you have a moment, please rate and review the show wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps others to find us. Thanks so much for listening. See you soon.